You're listening to Tech Talks, the TV industry podcast from Broadcast Tech Magazine. My name is Jake Bickerton and I'm the editor of Broadcast Sport and Broadcast Tech Magazines. This Broadcast Tech Talks podcast is with Ross Video CEO, David Ross. We're here to talk about how Ross has responded to all the challenges of 2020 how the company has worked to enable remote productions of sports, esports, and events, and helped its customers transition to the cloud um, during the pandemic. We'll also look at what's in store for uh, 2021 as well. Ross Video, of course, has a, a plethora of products and services it offers, uh, lots of live production things such as all-in-one production systems, cameras, graphic systems, including Piero, which it acquired a few years ago, have switches, replay systems. I mean, the list literally goes on and on. There's lots of infrastructure products working behind the scenes as well to enable lots of clever stuff and connectivity, cloud solutions. And it's 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 customer base spans everything, really. Sports, news, corporate, esports, education, government. There's pretty much everything that is to do with the world of events and broadcast. These guys are at the heart of it. Obviously, 2020 has been a year no one could have predicted with COVID-19 having a serious impact on all aspects of the production and broadcast industry across all genres. So, David, I suppose, really, what we should kick off with, you know, what, what has Ross been doing in this time to sort of try and address the challenges of the pandemic? And how has business been for you guys as well? You know, the pandemic impacted just about every area of, of life and business. Yeah. So certainly uh, we have a factory. Uh, one of the things we did there is we had to completely reconfigure the factory, uh, come up with two shifts that each worked three days a week, uh, 12 hours a day, trying to separate them in case one one shift got sick. You know, you don't want to infect the second shift, oh, things like that. Um, we actually um, <clears throat> decided to take care of our people as well. And uh, and we, we instituted a $20 an hour minimum wage in Ross Video recognizing that some of these people who are not able to work from the office, we wanted to really thank them for, mm. for what they were doing. Mm. I think as well, we, we did a lot of, uh, a lot of things in uh, the Ross mobile production side of things. Ross video has uh, a production arm. So we have got, you know, eight OB vans, we've got a, a studio and, um, and we do about 500 events a year, uh, a lot of sports and esports and things like that. Did that grow out of the sort of product side as, you know, you're being asked to get involved in doing the production yourself? Or did you have that sort of always alongside the products? Well, we did that as an acquisition maybe six or seven years ago. Right. Uh, and we, we built it up from one truck to, uh, you know, the, uh, the fairly large organization it is today. We just kind of realized that we had everything end to end. Uh, yeah. All we had to do was put into a truck and and it was an all Ross production. So we, we thought, you know, uh, it was a great way to, to also show what you can do when you, you put it all together as opposed to yeah. a few pieces of Ross. We would use uh, robots on, on sets and things like that because, you know, one less person in the room, one less, one, one less masked person in the room, yeah. things like that. Uh, and we use that in tennis. We use that in all sorts of different uh, interviews and different, different uh, productions. So having robotics, uh, I think, was uh, very, very handy in the pandemic. What exactly are the robots? And oh, uh, well, the the most famous one is our, our Furio robot. Uh, if you if you uh, look at the BBC World News and you see their circular sets uh, mm. and the robots all around uh, the hosts, those mm. are Ross robots. Uh -huh. 
so so those furios can go on rails and they uh and you can you can set them up at the edge of a swimming pool you can set them up uh at the side of a tennis court or in the middle of a concert heading into the pandemic a lot of people were talking about remy we were able to go beyond remy and into a fully decentralized production environment so you know the uh the vision mixer operator uh could bring their vision mixer panel home uh, put up a couple of monitors, uh, regular, you know, computer monitors and put it and, and see their, their multi-viewers, see uh, everything and literally uh, switch the show from their house. Hmm. Uh, the graphics operator would be in their house. The uh, audio operator would be in their house and, and the, the producer, the director and the, the talent would potentially all be completely decentralized as well. Is this something that you're offering via your own production services or is this something that you've been working with clients to enable them to do? Actually, it was really interesting what happened from a Ross video point of view, because we we have, you know, uh, 300 people uh, heading towards 400 people into our research and development department. And uh, the technology to do this came out of our Ross mobile group. Oh, uh, yeah. We decided not to lay anybody off uh, when they lost everything uh, back around April hmm. and uh, all in one day, I think. Uh, so mm-hmm. some of them went home and they started hacking away and learning how to do different things. And they came up with an entire system for decentralized production that was just brilliant. It was used for Access Hollywood, I believe. Uh, I think it was used for uh, esports, and yeah. then it was used for tennis and then it was used for the entire season of WNBA basketball. And do they work a little bit like a consultancy once they've created something that works for them? Can they then work with others that want to do a similar thing? And then you can, because I suppose that that's a way of selling more Ross products into a customer base as well, potentially, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, anybody who really needed that sort of remote production, uh, they were there for them. And to be honest, uh, we are working at productizing that that technology as yes. well yeah. uh, so that uh, people, uh, our customers can install it and use it on their own. So that's uh, a little bit of a, a hint of what's to come. A lot of people are talking about using the cloud uh, in, in this year. And um, it, the cloud is necessary to connect us together, but not always the best thing right now for doing high-end production. A lot of the, the cloud solutions are, are very, very basic. Uh, and, and suppose you, you want to have, and we, we saw this with a lot of our customers, they, there's a reason why some of the, the higher end production technology is, is as sophisticated as it is and has so many different features is we come up with, there's a lot of problems in, in uh, high end productions that need to be solved that a lot of the all in one, you know, you know, simple things that are in the cloud just totally don't address and they don't address large numbers of feeds as well. So, so the decentralized solution is a hybrid type solution in that you're using the cloud for moving around your video and audio, but all of the production is being used is, 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 is happening inside of regular racks of equipment, even though you may have your vision mixer operator, you know, thousands of kilometers away from, from the, uh, the equipment racks, they, uh, they are still using high-end equipment to make it all happen. So, so yeah. in the end, you're not sacrificing any sort of quality or, or uh, production sophistication. Fantastic. And, I mean, there has been a lot of talk over the last few years about, you know, cloud and kind of virtualization of products and, you know, whether hardware is going to be a thing in the future that we need. But I suppose you're saying that certainly at the moment, you know, the, the complexity of some of these challenges require a kind of hardware solution. Do you think things can potentially change in the future? Oh, I think they absolutely will. I think, you know, in something like five years, you're going to see a little bit of everything. Um, we're, we're already seeing, you know, the needs of the marketplace fragmenting. 
I remember, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, people would just ask if you're working with 525 or 625 lines. Mm. And that was it. And you'd use a digital SDI connection, we're done. Mm. Uh, now it's what compression format are you using NDI, are you using 2110, you know, are you using legacy 2022-6 digital video, are you using coax cables, are you using 12 gig or SDI, are you using uh, 25 gig IP or just the slow <laughs> 10 gig? You know, it, it just, Oh, it, it's, it's uh, and, I, and none of the, none of the things I just said has anything to do with cloud. Now yeah. you want to go to cloud, you're going to all sorts of other types of, uh, you know, cloud web protocols for, for low latency, highly compressed video and things like that. Mm. Uh, so I think over the next five years, we're, we're just going to see more of that. Um, so, and, and there's a, there's an interesting thing that a lot of people aren't talking about um, in that, well, we want to go to cloud Processing in the cloud is, can be either expensive or, or challenging, especially if you want to mix like uh, 30 or 50 or 100 different video signals together for complicated productions. Mm. You really can't get uh, decent UHD in and out of the cloud. And no, you know, all these web protocols stop at, uh, at uh, 1080p60. Mm. That's it. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's very interesting because before 2020, you know, one of the big buzzwords was 4K. We all want to do UHD. We want to be able to recognize that our, our viewers, you know, often have big 4K or even 8K TVs and we're sending them like 1080i or 720p or some, some horrible video standard. Let, let's catch up to what people are actually using to watch our, mm. our content. Mm. And when we go to cloud, we go back to square one. You know, we're going back at least 10 years in video quality, uh, mm. let alone the fact we're compressing it usually quite quite tremendously. So after the pandemic, it's a really interesting question is what's going to be more important? The move mm -hmm. to the cloud, which is to the convenience of the producers or the content creators, mm -hmm. or is it going to be going back to needing higher resolution video like 4K, which is to satisfying the needs of the content consumers? Mm -hmm. So, and I think the answer to that is you know, some are going to go and, and do what's convenient for them for their business purposes, and others are going to be uh, satisfying market demand, which is higher resolutions. There's a lot of pirating going on of content as well. In uh, the case of production in the cloud, these are feeds that are going up, uh, raw feeds, in mm. independent cameras, unbranded feeds, you know, un unattributable mm. feeds and things like that. So, uh, there, when, when you're working with high-end content, there is probably a real concern as to whether or not, you know, a Premier League game uh, should be produced in the cloud. Hmm. Do you feel the security, or at least the perception of security in the cloud, isn't at the stage it needs to be to enable the likes of those kind of real top-end formats such as Premier League to sort of fully trust in it? I, I think that that would be a, a, a true concern. I, I think... In fact, uh, well, security is definitely something that in, in the internet is certainly something that's getting more and more traction everywhere. I think in 2020, it probably took a big step back at the same time as well. And, and it creates awareness, but I think a lot of these big broadcasters turned a blind eye to some of the concerns on security just because they wanted to get anything on the air. Hmm. Uh, you, you know, it's, the, it's a, the lesser of two evils. But as we move forward and they have more choice, I think uh, security is going to be a bigger deal. And for you, Ross, I mentioned all the, the sort of different marketing verticals that you your kind of main customer base is in. Where do you see the growth at the moment? I mean, esports is clearly something that 
you know, during the pandemic, it had a, a natural position to benefit from the lack of live sports and, and kind of create a bigger fan base or at least an awareness of it. Is that an area that you see kind of continuing to grow over the next few years? Esports is going through a, a similar arc, I think, of, of a lot of other things like stadiums went through a few years ago. Uh, stadiums used to have maybe a four input switcher, you know, for the in-house feed and uh, very, very low end productions. Mm. And now they often have higher production quality than uh, than the trucks that are pulling up doing the broadcast. Yeah. They have big screens, they have more pixels, they have more screens and so forth. And they, they tell a, <clears throat> a bigger story to the fans. Um, I think esports started as well as, hey, we're, we're just watching some guy, you know, or a team of people playing a video game. That's that's just a single feed. And now uh, they are extravaganzas uh, with uh, virtual and augmented production, you know, quality. And yeah. you, you have to have 4K. You have to do all sorts of different things. And and uh, it's it's like a high end. So that's it's a growth area, not only for the number of viewers, but also from, say, a supplier point of view and, and to the production point of view the uh, the amount of equipment to produce them is going up and up content creation tools are becoming more and more affordable um more available uh we're just seeing more content being created and that just matches the uh the view i have of the world of everything becoming fragmented you know the you know there's there's very few super bowls left out there uh Mm. and many many more uh competitors for eyeballs and every time you want to do that you're uh you're often if you're doing it live You've got to you've got to do a high end production. Yes. people do have expectations. Yeah. Do you think the automation of sports, which is happening in the production side, where you know you've got say a 180 degree camera in the middle of a pitch covering lower tier sport that might not be produced otherwise, do you see that? I know you mentioned about the high quality, but it seems with a lot of machine learning that that automation can get to the point where you know, it's actually doing a reasonably good job and you can add all the graphics in and all that kind of stuff. Do you see the, you know, that automation continuing and, you know, potentially even into higher tier sports as well? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I think absolutely, uh, you know, because there is price pressures and things like that to be able to, uh, to produce content. There is fear, though, when you take the human being out of, out of the, uh, the equation and because uh, nobody really knows how the AI is just is doing what it's doing. And it may look like it's doing what you want, but in the end, you've just trained it for inputs and outputs and it's magic in between. Uh, And and I have a favorite uh, video that you can find on YouTube uh, for for this, where uh, the AI decided that it fell in love with the bald head of a referee. That's a very good point. I mean, machine learning, you know, obviously has potential quite quickly to eliminate that type of, uh, what do they call it? False... uh, I can't remember what the False term positive. is. False positive, maybe something like that. Yeah. From your point of view, I'm, I'm interested actually with Ross, because as I said at the start, you've got so many different products and so many different areas that you cover. And then you add stuff either through you're creating new products or you're acquiring them. So say Piera, for example, with the graphics side. But what, how do you sort of decide what you need to sort of slot into the the Ross video offer, if you like? I mean, you know, what's your kind of decision-making process like for that? It comes from everywhere, just like you would expect. I mean, uh, one obvious one is if you you think you're doing well and a competitor comes up with something brilliant, and then you scramble and say, well, how would we do that but better? Yeah. Other times you have a, a customer with a problem that needs to be solved. And uh, so you you get your heads together and you, you come up with a new solution or modify what you have for that sport or event or whatever else. Mm. 
Other times we, we take a look at the portfolio and we look at the needs of a market vertical and say, well, the needs of say education or um, say a religious broadcast are different than a stadium, which is different than a, a newscast. Hmm. Now, and, and how they often need most of the same pieces of equipment, but then some of them are used in different ways. Uh, and, and so you sit there and you say, okay, we can, we can come, come up with an end-to-end -end solution with just tweaking some of the things we have or adding one new piece that we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. So then you're, you're looking at, you know, from a very customer centric point of view, but from an end to end solution. Yeah. So, and sometimes, sometimes uh, some of our product managers could just come up with a cool idea, you know, out of the blue and, and we all get excited about it. And <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Before we finish, I'd like to bring things really close by and into 2021. Um, how do you see that sort of panning out? Uh, you know, hopefully very different to 2020. But yeah, what, what's your sort of thoughts if you could project forward a little bit? I, I don't think I've ever said it this way, but I, I think that I'm, in some ways I'm hoping that 2021 will be 2020 in reverse. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's, you know, it started with, uh, you know, full scale production and then do a lockdown almost and then slowly worked its way out. Uh, I think this year will we'll be, we may go through one or two more lockdowns uh, with second and third waves happening and things like that. And we want to take care of people. Uh, but I think we'll bump our way out of that, uh, especially with vaccines coming and, and better ways of coping uh, with the pandemic. And hopefully by the end of 2021, it'll look like the, uh, the very start of 2020. Oh, that'd be so nice, David. If, uh, <laughs> if you're right, uh, yeah, the world will feel like a much nicer place again, I think. I, I will love being on airplanes and traveling like I like a starving man. I think. And, no, and, uh, feels such a long time ago. Friends and events and concerts. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to be a generation that totally appreciates these things. That's right. Yeah, maybe that's sort of a really positive way of looking at things. Yeah, will make us uh, realize what we what we took for granted before and really, you know, appreciate it properly. You're probably right. Well, let's hope so anyway. <laughs> nice one, Dave. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Broadcast Tech Talks podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review, and I'll see you next time.